Good morning, everyone. I got my cue a little late. That was my fault, but I'm here. Praise God. Just got lost in the backstage there. So I do want to encourage you to join us also on Wednesday nights. We are doing an in-depth study to the book of Job, and it has been incredible and challenging. Uh, And, you know, on Sunday mornings I preach, but on Wednesday nights I teach and we interact And if you can't attend, you can watch online, both live stream or later on, or you can download our church podcast, and then you can listen to it anywhere you go, in the car, working out, whatever it may be. But uh, we're we're digging deep on Wednesday nights, and so I invite you to be a part of that. The series we're doing on Sunday morning is entitled Seek First. And the word seek is used multiple times in multiple ways in both the Old and New Testament. Seeking the right things at the right time is a key to spiritual, mental, emotional, and even physical health and well-being. And seek first indicates setting proper priorities and doing first things first. Last week we talked about seek his face. Seek his face for strength. Seek God's face for blessing and vindication. Seek his face for miracles and mercy. And so we know the Bible has much to say about seeking. It also has much to say about worrying. Can you believe that? And again, the key to overcoming worry is the seeking of the right things at the right time with the right priorities. Our text is Matthew 6.25 that says, Therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life. Now drop down with me to verse 33. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given you as well. One of the best examples of the dynamics of seeking first versus worrying is found in the story of Mary and Martha. So let's look at that great story, Luke chapter 10, verse 38, and see if you can relate to any of this. As Jesus and his disciples were on their way, he came to a village where a woman named Martha opened her home to him. And she had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet listening to what he said. But Martha was distracted by all the preparations that had to be made. And she came to him and asked, Lord, don't you care that my stupid sister, I added stupid, (laughs) that my sister has left me to do all the work by myself? Tell her to get off her lazy rear end and help me. (laughs) Okay, I may have ad-libbed a little bit in there. Martha, Martha. The Lord answered, you are worried Same word that we saw in the book of Matthew, worried and upset about many things. But only one thing is needed. Mary has chosen what is better, and it will not be taken away from her. Let's read that same passage in the Amplified Bible. The Amplified Bible is a great study Bible. It expands on certain words, define them. It's like a word study Bible. Verse 38, now while they were on their way, it occurred that Jesus entered a certain village, and a woman named Martha received and welcomed him into her house. And she had a sister named Mary who seated herself at the Lord's feet and was listening to his teaching. But Martha, overly occupied and too busy, was distracted with much serving. And she came up to him and said, Lord, is it nothing to you that my sister has left me to serve alone? Tell her then to help me to lend a hand and do her part along with me. But the Lord replied to her by saying, Martha, Martha, you are anxious and troubled about many things. 
There is need of only one or but a few things. Mary has chosen the good portion, that which is to her advantage, which shall not be taken away from her. I love the Bible so much. Do you realize how practical the Word of God is for everyday living? There, there's nothing that you will go through that there isn't an answer in Scripture for. Whatever challenge, whatever problem, whatever issue, God is a personal God and He cares about you personally. Every believer in Jesus Christ is a son or daughter of God and God cares and God is involved. And so I want you to know that the Bible is very practical. It's not some book that you just gain head knowledge. It's supposed to be lived out in our everyday life. And worry is a common problem among in the history of humanity, but I would dare say especially now in these days. Isn't it amazing? There's, a, there's an anxiousness, there's a fear, there's a worry, there's a dread that has fallen over the earth. And so I want to talk about that very practical subject. And this week and maybe next week, we're going to talk about the cause of worry. And then a few weeks from now, we're going to talk about the cure from worry. So I'm going to give you the cause, and you're going to have to wait a few weeks to figure out the cure. Hopefully you'll be able to wait that long. Now let's remind ourselves of the definition of worry in the Greek. It's merimnao, and it means anxious care, troubled, to think earnestly upon, to be cumbered with many cares, to have an anxious concern based on an apprehension about possible, not even real, but possible danger or misfortune. To have a distracting care perpetually uneasy. Well, that's a, a pretty exhaustive definition of the word worry. And so let's talk about the cause of worry in this scripture we find in this passage with Mary and Martha. The first origin of worry is number one, being overly occupied. Being overly occupied will produce worry in your heart. For some reason, that makes me think of the word on the bathroom door in the airplane, ocupado. <laughs> For years, I've been saying that, ocupado, and I've been pronouncing it wrong. It's ocupado, not Q, stupid gringo. <laughs> and so for years, I've mispronounced that word, but due to our ball and chain cell phones, we've become overly ocupado, even in the bathroom. Some of you, not me. It's embarrassing. Martha was overly occupied. Now, she had opened her home to Jesus. That's a good thing. She, she had a heart for hospitality. Martha wanted, I mean, she opened her home to Jesus. And we're, it's actually one of the ways to overcome worry. We'll get to that in a couple weeks. But the Message Bible describes Martha's hospitality. I mean, you know, hospitality is a gift. And Martha had it. Look at Luke 10, 38 in the Message Bible. As they continued their travel, Jesus entered a village. A woman by the name of Martha welcomed him and made him feel quite at home. Martha had that gift. She had that ability to make people feel at home in her home. This was most likely her home. She was the older sister. And she showed genuine hospitality. However... She had to know it would also cause her great anxiety. We can, we can see this in this passage as we take it in totality that, that Martha had a, a heart of hospitality, but that heart of hospitality also had a, a flip side to it, and it was anxiety. 
It was worry. You know, we sometimes do things we know will create stress for ourselves. Sometimes the cause of worry is ourselves. We, we, we agree to things, we do things we know will stress us out. And yet we do those things. I mean, you know, if you read the news before you go to bed, it might stress you out. I've had to learn to stop that because I, I love reading the news and watching the news. And, but there's just certain times I can't watch the news if I'm going to rest. And so I think it's important for us to identify those things we know will cause us worry and concern. And we have to ask ourselves, should I be doing these things or should I be doing these things at a different time? Martha was not obliged to have Jesus come to her home. Jesus didn't say to, like he did to Zacchaeus. He said, Zacchaeus, I'm coming to your house for lunch. He didn't say that to Martha. And so she had no, nothing was placed upon her except that which she placed upon herself. Now, it was an honor, but it was not an obligation. So what was her motive? We, we often do things because we're hoping for something out of it. That's human nature. Her motives and priorities reveal themselves soon enough. You see, Martha wanted her home to be spotless and the meal to be perfect. She wanted to impress Jesus. And she was overly occupied with lesser things. We can be so consumed with small things. A bunch of small things can become a big thing for us. And so if we're overly occupied, too many things are calling for our attention. It's going to create some discord in our hearts and in our soul. And when we are overly occupied, we may begin to worry if we can juggle all these balls in the air at the same time. Worry is the result of being overly occupied. So I want you to think about that throughout this week. Is, is, are you overly occupied? Do you have too many things on your list? Too many things on your calendar? Too much going on at the same time? This is what was going on with Martha. She was overly occupied. Another instigator of worry is number two, being too busy. Whoa. Can anybody relate to that? As soon as Martha gave the, the invitation, she may have immediately regretted it. You think about that. She, oh, come over to my house. And Jesus says, okay. And then she immediately thinks, oh, no, that place is a mess. Now I've got to make a meal. Now I've got to do all this. And she was just simply too busy in her life. She had too many irons in the fire to begin with. I love idioms. I have a book of idioms. Those are sayings that that try to describe something. And this, one of my favorite is being cooler than the center seed of a cucumber. That's an Andy Griffith statement right there. I love the Andy Griffith show. The word, the idiom, too many irons in the fire, actually came from the 16th century, figuratively referencing the blacksmith trade. When one tries to heat too many pieces of iron like horseshoes at once is apt to spoil the forging of some of them. How many know we can have too many irons in the fire, too many hot horseshoes to deal with. Martha was trying to handle all of these things at the same time. She was trying to multitask, and it wasn't working. She, she was trying to get everything ready, but she was also watching her sister, obviously, because she got upset about it. And so she's got all of these things going in in, in her mind, and she's trying to multitask, and 
Many people try to multitask. I used to say all the time that I can multitask. Jolene says, no, you can't. And I found out she's exactly right. In fact, the science says we, we really can't multitask. Neuroscience research has shown our brains can't pay attention to two things at once. And if you try, if you try to multitask, it will create stress in your life. It will create worry. Earl Miller, a professor of neuroscience at MIT, says that for the most part, we simply can't focus on one or more thing at a time. We can switch back and forth very rapidly, but in reality, only one has our full attention at any given time. And so not, as, not, as, not only is multitasking a myth, but this fruitless effort can cause harm via stress. I want to share with you this quote from David Meyer. He's a PhD professor of psychology, cognition, and perception from the University of Michigan. So he's got some expertise on this subject. And he says, whenever demands exceed abilities, stress is bound to follow. Multitasking is especially stressful when the tasks are important, as they are often on the job. And the brain responds to impossible demands by pumping out adrenaline and other stress hormones that put a person on edge. And these hormones provide a quick burst of energy, but energy won't make multitasking easier. Over time, the stress of multitasking may even become dangerous. A steady flow of stress hormones can strain the body and threaten health. Wow. And so the more we try to multitask, the more we can't. The more stress it creates, the more adrenaline it pumps into our system, and it puts us on edge. There's no wonder. We need to learn to do things one at a time and to have our attention focused on one thing at a time. But we have demands of ourselves that we place upon ourselves. And sometimes these demands exceed our abilities. I like that statement. Our, 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 I'm sorry, our demands exceed our abilities or priorities at one time. How many know it's easy to become too busy? It's real easy. You can say yes to everything. Even in the church, you can agree to everything. And how many know we're not supposed to agree to everything? We define our place and our gifts and our, and our ministry. But we can't say yes to everything. It's easy to become too busy, but it's more challenging to set boundaries and find rest. Some of us feel guilty if we're not doing something, right? We don't even know how to relax. We don't even know how to sit down. We, and if we do, we start feeling guilty. I should be doing something. And Archibald Hart, in The Anxiety Cure, his book, he says this, our work ethic demands that we always be busy doing something. Doing nothing has a bad rap. So we are caught then between the body's need for rest and society's need to keep us busy. That's the conflict. We know that we need to pace ourselves. We need to be able to set those boundaries that are necessary in our lives. But being too busy will certainly bring worry. Another reason for worry, number three, is becoming distracted. Martha became distracted. Now this word in the Greek, it's the only time it's used in the whole Bible. And the word is perispao, and it means to drag all around. That's an image. To draw, 
to draw different ways at the same time, hence to distract with cares and responsibilities. Martha was being dragged around by her own expectations and demands she had placed on herself. What a picture. She was distracted. She was pulled in separate directions by her own internal struggles. She was being dragged around. Years ago when I was in college, I took a missions trip to Italy. Yeah, I know, that sounds like, really? That's like a missions trip to Hawaii. Yeah, reach the beach ministry, I love it. So I went on this missions trip because the college I went to, you had to go on a missions trip to graduate. So Italy sounded like the best place for me. And so we as a group were there and we landed in Rome and we did a whole lot of walking, a whole lot of traveling, trains, planes, and automobiles like you wouldn't believe. And there was this short and petite woman on our team with a huge, bulky, soft-sided suitcase with no wheels. And so, of course, she couldn't carry. The suitcase was bigger than she was. I knew because I thought about putting her in it. Because it was up to me and my friend Ken to drag this humongous monstrosity all over Italy. And it wasn't even our baggage. It wasn't, we had our own baggage. We had our own suitcases. We had to trade off dragging this. And, you know, to make it worse, I wasn't even attracted to her. I mean, that would have helped some motivation a little bit. I mean, no, it's hard to drag something around if you're, you know, not attracted to it. And it's bad enough we have to drag our own baggage around. Because we all have baggage. But have you ever had to drag around someone else's baggage? That's the joy of marriage. You get more baggage. That's life. Martha had baggage. And she was pulled in different directions by her own cares and concerns. These were her issues. It wasn't Mary's fault. This is what happens oftentimes when we, when we are called to deal with our issues we're just like Peter. What about John? We're just like Adam. What about the woman you gave me? We're ready to shift that responsibility. Instead of dealing with our own baggage, we try to place it on other people. I believe Martha wanted to sit at the feet of Jesus. I believe she wanted to do that. But she was compelled by something stronger in her life. And it wasn't the right thing. She just couldn't rest until everything was done and done the right way. I won't ask anybody to raise your hand, but can you relate? You can't rest until everything's done. And the problem is nothing ever gets done completely. The list just keeps growing. If you're like me and have a to-do list on your computer, and if it's late, it turns red, your whole computer's bleeding red all the time. Because... No, not only do we want it done, we want it done right. And Martha's like, okay, this, we're going we're gonna to impress this Jesus. He's going to see what we're like. And the reality is he does see what we're like. She just couldn't, the, the guilt motivation. I mean, how many you know guilt is a very effective but very horrible motivator? That's why we come to repentance to the Lord and he takes away our guilt. But how many know guilt is the gift that keeps on giving? It'll hang around if you let it, even after you're forgiven. Have you ever felt dragged around by your own expectations and guilt? 
Have you ever felt pulled in different directions by the expectations of other people? Sometimes that controls us more than anything. Is what we're trying to impress other people. We're, we care too much about what other people think of us. How I many you know it's what, what matters is what Jesus thinks about us? It's his favor we want. It's his approval we want. But too often we're held prisoner by the expectations of other people that can't carry their own baggage. Do you ever feel like you can never rest until you just get the next thing done? Being distracted, drug around, and pulled in different directions will definitely result in worry. And so we're learning the causes of worry. And I hope you're examining your, your heart because we're really going to examine ourselves when we come to communion at the end of the service. And so please be thinking about which point that I'm going over speaks most to you. Because Jesus said, do not worry. That's a commandment. Do not worry. And yet if you worry, like everyone does to a certain degree or another, then we've got to learn to overcome it. Another symptom of worry is number four, feeling overwhelmed by overcommitments. Martha was distracted, it says, by much serving is, is the Greek word. She was distracted by preparations, the NIV translates it. And this is, this is the word in, in a Greek, it's interesting, it's the word for deacon. It's, a, it's the same root word, which means to be a servant, to serve. And there's nothing wrong with being a servant except when you're overwhelmed with too many obligations and responsibilities. And that's what Martha had done. She had taken on too much. She had completely overcommitted herself. I think Martha was the type of person that just couldn't say no. To overcome worry, we may have to learn to say that small word, right? No, N-O. Look at Matthew chapter 5, verse 33. Jesus warns us about that. Again, you have heard that it was said to the people long ago, do not break your oath, but keep the oaths you have made to the Lord. But I tell you, do not swear at all, either by heaven, for it is God's throne, or by the earth, for it is his footstool, or by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. And do not swear by your head, for you cannot make even one hair white or black. Sometimes, simply let your yes be yes and your no, no. Anything beyond this comes from the evil one. We don't have to say, I pro cross my heart, hope to die, poke a needle in my eye, I promise. You know, some of the six things we said as kids, you know. We're with our grandkids and we're playing nursery rhymes. And it's like, when you studied some of the nursery rhymes, they're pretty dark and disturbing. <laughs> Ring around the rosy, pocket full of posy. I think that had to do with the Black Death or something. Interesting stuff. But I don't know how I got there. But let your yes be, oh yeah. You don't have to add anything to it. I swear. I swear on a stack of Bibles. Whatever the modern saying is. We just let our yes be yes and no be no. And so you make that decision before you open your mouth. Because sometimes it is the will of God to say no. Sometimes it's the will of God to say yes. But we can't say yes to everything or we will become overcommitted and it will result in worry. 
In the book Boundaries, Doctors Cloud and Townsend say this. In other words, if we say yes to God or anyone else when we really mean no, we move into a position of compliance. And that is the same as lying. Our lips say yes, but our hearts and often our half-hearted actions say no. Say yes to the best. And sometimes you may need to say no to the good. Well, that's a powerful statement. I like that. Say yes to the best. And to do that, sometimes you'll have to say no to the good. We have to decide, is this the best or is this just the good? Is, just, is this second best? Because we can't do everything. It is better to make fewer commitments than to break the commitments we've made. And that requires us sometimes to stop and think about it. Hey, I'll get back to you. You know, I don't know if I have, I'm able to do that, but let me pray about it. And really pray about it. God will let you know. He'll give you peace whether it's your responsibility or not. And the, again, the Lord wants us to deal with our own baggage, but we're so often trying to carry someone else's. And it's weighing us down. Our own baggage is enough to deal with. And there is a time where we certainly support one another. I don't have time to take that, that direction this morning. But I want us to understand that worry as an individual feeling and response is often caused by us overcommitting, not letting our yes be yes and our no be no. Number five, another cause of worry is thinking God doesn't care. This is as far as I'm going to go this morning. You see, there are a few times in the Bible where people accused God of not caring. How many know that's the one, that accusation is so far out? It, it, there's probably not much worse we could say to God than accuse him of not caring. Because God always cares. He always cares for us. It's all throughout the scripture. We're going to be talking about some of those passages. But let's look at this one. Matthew 4, verse 37 a furious squall came up, and the waves broke over the boat so that it was nearly swamped. And Jesus was in the stern, sleeping on a cushion. And the disciples woke him and said to him, Teacher, don't you care if we drown? So not only did Martha make that accusation of Jesus, so did his disciples. And can you imagine how it grieved the heart of Jesus? Because in a short time, he was going to give his life. How much more could he show that he cares? And that's what communion is all about. Communion is us remembering the sacrifice of Jesus because he cares so much for you and me. And so we're going to partake of communion this morning. And I want you to think of those things. Are you in any way feeling overly occupied in your life? The Bible says we're to examine ourselves before we take communion. So consider these, these statements. Or being too busy. Do you feel the conviction of the Holy Spirit on that? Or becoming distracted. Or overwhelmed by overcommitments. Or thinking that God doesn't care. If those resonate with your heart, any one of those or more than one, let's take some time as we go before the Lord. And let's worship the Lord before we take communion.
For I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Let's pray. Lord God, we thank you for your faithfulness. Jesus, we thank you for your sacrifice. That you gave your life so we could have an abundant life, an eternal life, and life anew. And so, Lord, I just pray that any of these areas of our life that we are struggling with, God, that we bring to you, we bring to you, Jesus. We cast our cares on you because you care for us. So, Lord, show us how to live out this life as you would have us live. In Jesus' name, amen. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you for shedding your blood for the forgiveness of our sins. We don't have to live in guilt. We don't have to bear condemnation. We don't have to live in regret, Lord, but we've been forgiven and set free by the blood of the Lamb, by your precious shed blood for us. And so we confess our sins to you, Lord, knowing that you will forgive us and purify us from all unrighteousness. In Jesus' name, amen. Would you drink the cup? Would you stand with me? The elders will be coming forward for prayer if anyone needs prayer. The altars are always open. We'll keep our conversation to the foyer as people stay in worship. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord turn his face toward you and give you peace. Our worship service begins at 1030 every Sunday. You can join us in person or online. We broadcast live on both Facebook and YouTube. We would love for you to join us and be our guest this Sunday. Our address is 4901 California Avenue, Bakersfield, California. Thank you for joining us and have a blessed day.